Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. for some noise this Easter. You doing good? Yeah. Great to see you. Great to see you online too. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. We're going to read this. Then we're going to pray. Then I'm going to preach for about four hours. It's going to be a good time. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. Gospel means good news. Someone say good news. Someone say great news. The gospel I preach to you, which you receive, someone say receive, and on which you have taken your stand, someone say stand, by this gospel you are saved, someone say saved, if you hold firmly, someone say firmly, to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried and then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Then he appeared to Cephas, meaning Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500. Someone say 500. Someone say that's a lot of eyewitnesses. That's case closed, isn't it? Just if it was a murder case, that was case closed. You got two people saw it, that's kind of a big deal. Three people saw it, that's kind of a big deal. You got five over 500 saw it. Wow, case closed. Anyway, keep going. most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me. This is Paul speaking. As the one abnormally born, but Christ indeed, verse 20, has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, So in Christ, all will be made alive. Come on, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for every man, every woman in the sound of my voice, those watching online, those in this auditorium, across our kids' space. Father, I thank you for them today. They are your sons. They are your daughters. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bless them, flow through your servant into your sons. God, open eyes, I pray, and ears, I pray. Lord, as my wife prayed, I pray that resurrected dreams would be in this house. I pray resurrected families would be in this house. Jesus, we we look to you. We look to your life. We look to your strength. Come on, let's pray this simple prayer together. Say, Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Open my eyes. Open my ears. Soften my heart. In your powerful name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Can we thank our worship team for a moment? Thank you guys. Go ahead, grab your seat. Grab your seat. Recently, I went on a date night with my daughter. Uh, we were in a Family Matters series, and uh, as part of the kind of challenge to build healthy families, we said, hey, dads, take your 
daughter on a date. And so I got two daughters, nine and five, and I went on a date with my daughter. It was an awesome time. I love it. It was, we bought a lot of popcorn, went to the movies, got a little flowers. Very cute, right? You're like, nah. <laughs> Ate a lot of popcorn. We saw Raya the Last Dragon Friday night. Raya, I think. However I say it. And then on Sunday night, I took my other daughter, she's five years old, and we went and we saw Raya the Last Dragon. (laughs) And then about three weeks later, we were having a movie night, and we're like, guys, what movie do you want to watch? And they're like, Raya and the Last Dragon. I don't know about your kids, if you've got kids, but my kids like to, they think three times to watch a movie is a small amount. I'm like, we just saw it. They're like, so? We've only seen it four times. Um, like so many action movies, whether cartoon or not, there was this overwhelming theme. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, close your ears real quick. But here's what the theme was about. Once upon a time, everything was perfect. But then this evil came into the world, which changed everything. And they needed a warrior to battle against all odds and to make it right again. And the promise is happily ever I was like, man, where have I heard that message before? (laughs) I was thinking of books, I was thinking of movies, and it's actually ridiculous how many movies and books this theme sits in across humanity. doesn't matter what nation you go to, it is everywhere. Look, look, let's go to Thor. I mean, he's going to save the world, right? And all the ladies get excited. Isn't it funny the lady's like, I'm not about looks. Well, you seem to be. Because <laughs> every time I've shown him on the screen, the girl's like, no. He lives 45 minutes away from my sister. She was excited recently because they were at the same restaurant. She was like, yo. <laughs> Thor was there. I'd have hair like that too if I could grow that. And then there's like Hulk and, well, he kind of smashes the world, but he kind of saves the world, right? And then there's Black Panther. He's going to save the world. All the Marvel movies, all of them save the world. Then there's I Am Legend, Will Smith. Every movie that Will Smith's ever in, he saves the world. I don't know if you know that or not. Men in Black, Men in Black 2, Men in Black 3. Remember Armageddon? How many of you enjoyed this movie? This movie was Bruce. Bruce had to save the world. Come on, Bruce, save the world. He's like, I did. There's Wonder Woman and she saves the world. Yes, I got one guy. One guy was honest enough to go, yeah, she looks pretty good. Wife's gonna deal with you later. Then there's Superman and He's going to save the world. How come there's no love for Superman? Like, what's up with that? Come on. I don't know if you know this, that Jewish people wrote about Superman. That was from Jews. Came from another planet, invaded the world, saved the world, exposed himself to the world at the age of 30. Anyway. Then there was the Lord of the Rings, right? And a hobbit saved the world. <laughs> Hairy feet and all. Yeah. All is well in the peaceful shire. But a darkness is creeping slowly into the land. 
And I could have gone on and on. I could have, I could have spent the next hour showing you movies and books that have this tremendous theme that something was perfect and then something got lost and we needed a saviour to save us. And here's what's amazing. And most of these movies don't believe in the morality in essence of Scripture, but they have the exact theme of the entire Bible. Do you know that or not? It's as if written into the hearts of mankind is a growing awareness, especially as you get older, that the world isn't what it should be and we need a champion to overcome and save us so peace and love can be restored. Listen to what Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says. He, speaking of God, has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. This theme of good versus evil, we find all throughout the history of mankind's story is strangely, it is the predominant theme that summarizes the entire canon of scriptures. Listen to what Revelation chapter 12 verse 17 says. So the dragon was enraged with the woman speaking of the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he went off to wage war on the rest of her children Those who keep and obey the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And isn't it true that although there are good things in the world and you and I experience many, many good things and we live in really probably the richest nation in the world, that there's problems, isn't there? That most of us have a crazy uncle or a crazy auntie and, 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 and if you don't know who the crazy auntie is, you might be her. And the Apostle John starts the Gospel of John not with once upon a time, but with definitive language of a real event that happened in historical time. In John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning, someone say, In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God. Speaking of Jesus in the beginning, through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And I find it interesting that the the Apostle John doesn't start with, with Jesus' humanity. He starts with Jesus' divinity. He takes us all the way back to Genesis saying, listen, this is your foundation. Genesis 1, God made the world. Genesis 2, God formed the family. Genesis 3, evil crept in. And ever since then, you and I, even though we recognize often evil out there, it's often the evil within that we have the biggest struggle with. See, the problem of the heart is the heart of the problem. The problem of humanity isn't that or that. It's actually internal. And most times we're trying to fix the world instead of look within and say, God, would you fix me? Bible says in John 1, 5, he says, the light shines in the darkness. And then it says this, kind of like this theme that I'm talking about in cartoons and movies, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 11 says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Then it gives us hope, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And John says, and we have seen his glory. 
full of grace and truth. Years ago, my daughters uh, said to me, Daddy, we'd go to church and we were obviously a growing church at the time. We met at the Williams Center in Rutherford and we went from one service, then we went to two and then we went to three. Our kids were excited, they're like, yay, we have to go to church. But you know, they're five years old and one day we're on the way to church and my kids asked me, so Daddy, when do we get to see Jesus? And I was kind of like, oh, I, I, I don't know how to answer that. Let me go back and read the Bible. <laughs> and it was a legitimate question, right? What we call the Father's house. We're going to church tonight. But when do we get to see Him? Yeah. Haven't you ever thought that, that to yourself? God, if you would just show up, you'd fix everything. Like if you would just part the clouds and come down, you could just say, it's me. Have you ever had an atheist friend or someone who just doesn't believe? You're like, oh, I believe in God. And you're just like, God, you would make it so much easier to me to invite him to church, to, to change his life. If you just go, can you come down? And I've thought that before. And you've thought that before. You're like, God, you, why don't you just show yourself to me? And here's the thing, God did come down. Yeah. And the Bible says he came down and many received him, but some didn't. And you're like, wait, how did God show up and many received him and some didn't? Isn't it amazing? Because sometimes, let's be honest, the truth it's kind of inconvenient. Have you ever lied? This part of the room hasn't, but you guys <laughs> kind of got the look in your eye. See, if you ever lied, what you actually said was the truth is really inconvenient right now. See, when Jesus showed up to humanity, he began to do what no one has ever done before. He, he literally says, I'm the bread of life. And there's 20,000 people in front of him. And, and just to kind of prove it, he's like, all right, let's take this little boy's lunch and let's just spread it to 20,000. And there's 12 basketfuls left. I mean, that's just showing off. And all the disciples get baskets full left, just walking home, thinking about it. Like, he just had a little kid's lunch. And then he's like, I'm the bread of life. Then later he says to them in John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know if you know, if you internalize the sayings of Jesus and the promises of Jesus, the more I internalize the promises of Jesus and the sayings of Jesus, the more they bother me because how big they are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I am the light of the world. Not like I have a light. Not I have a light on my phone. Not I can press a button in my car like this and a light comes on. Not I can say, hey, Alexa, can you turn on the lights in my house? I don't know if you have that, but it's available. <laughs> like I can turn on lights in my home. I can lights and, and, and but he says, I'm the light of the world. Yeah. That's actually a ridiculous statement. To all the world, Jesus, not just to Lynnhurst, not just to Jersey, not just to America, not just to black ones and white ones. No, all the world. And the more you think about it, you're more like, this is kind of obnoxious or really true, but it cannot be somewhere in the middle. 
and too many people try to have their faith right in the middle. They're like, oh, I'm kind of with Jesus and I'm kind of not with Jesus. And he's like, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows, someone say follow. It's not whoever conceptually believes, it's whoever follows will have the light of life. And then just to prove what he said, he goes and finds a man who's been blind for 38 years, born blind, never seen all his life, 38 years blind, begs. And Jesus walks up to him, no surgery, no fancy laser surgery, no anesthesia, no doctors, no nurses. He gets mud, puts it in his eyes, and then says, go off to the Pool of Siloam and wash in that. And he goes and he finds it, stumbles his way along. He finds this pool. It's probably kind of dirty. You wouldn't want to wash in it. And he washes his eyes, and then all of a sudden he sees. And then people hear about the miracle, and some are like, how many hands am I holding up? How many fingers? How, is it three? Is it five? Like, this guy has never seen before in his life, so it should be a happy day. How many would at least agree with me? This should be a happy day. If you've never seen before, you had a friend, you had a cousin, you had a mother, you had a father, you had someone in your family that had never seen before. You're like, this is a big day. And in John chapter 9, the Pharisees find him. And they begin to ask him questions. How did he make you see? He's like, well, he got mud in my eyes. He sent me to the pool and I just see. And he's like, oh, what, what really happened? They're like, he's like, I told you. And listen to what he says. He says in John chapter nine, he says, the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. He says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does as well. Nobody has ever heard. This does not happen in the Old Testament. No prophet does this miracle. Jesus does it seven times. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I thought this was a happy day. Shouldn't they be like, yay, you see. Normal people would do that. I'm happy for you. You now see. Here's the thing. They don't want to see him. Because when they see him, they have to see big him. But here's the interesting thing. Their, what I would call their control, was the kryptonite that took away their spiritual sight. Hear this now. Control was the kryptonite that took away their spiritual sight. You see, they are, it's, it's, they are like the senators of our day with high positions. And how many know that when scandals break out with senators, they like to hide it? So here's the, <laughs> you never watch the news? But what we realise is that these men are highly respected. There's money flowing their way. There's position, there's title, there's everything else. And if Jesus is who He claims, they are the teachers of Israel. All of a sudden they lose their teaching job and they literally go to students. The worship that they do is irrelevant. Here's what's interesting. They are Jewish men who daily pray a prayer to see the Messiah 
but they can't see Him when He's right in front of them because they're so trying to control their positions. Could it be that you and I don't see God? Because sometimes we're trying to control an area of our life and we're like, God, I know that that happened, but I'd rather kick that bit out so that I can have the control of my life. Are you with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 55, Paul says, Where, O death, is your victory? And where, O death, is your sting? Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Christian hater. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus had to blind him for three days so he would see. Fast forward just two more chapters. In John chapter 11, Jesus shows up at Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus has been dead four days. Someone say four days. Not four minutes. There is no CPR. There is no electric shock treatment. There's no doctors. There's no nurses. He's not in the ICU unit. He's in the tomb. He's dead. His body has been decaying. And all Jesus does, he doesn't even step into the grave, lay hands on him. He doesn't shun the Lakai. He doesn't pray in tongues. He doesn't say in Jesus' name. He doesn't do any of those things. He literally stands outside of a tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. Because just previously he told him, I am the resurrection and the life. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He says things and then he does things. He says a statement that's ridiculous. And then he does a statement that's even more ridiculous. And you're like, wait, what you said has to be true. Because you're violating death. And he raises three people from the grave in the ministry of his life. Three is the number in the scriptures of completeness. He's showing us something. I have complete control over death. Someone say resurrection. My wife gave a bit of an encouragement just after the second song, just about dead dreams coming to life. Here's the funny thing about faith. Your faith has to be big enough to handle disappointments. It is the truth. Let me share just a couple of miracles that we've seen in our church. A number of years ago, there was a beautiful African-American lady who grew up in Harlem. Her name was Mary. She used to come to our church eight years ago, or 10 years ago, I think she began to come. And she began to come and she didn't even like our music. So she would skip the music time and just come from the preaching. We didn't even know that. She would sit outside. I was like, why aren't you in there? And she was like, okay, I'll go in there. She would... She would walk 20 steps and had to sit down for just minutes at a time because her back was such in crippling pain. For for a number of years, and and she didn't tell us this, it was just the way it was. And and then on anointing Sunday, probably eight years ago, I think it was my wife prayed for her and the woman didn't even say, I have a back problem. But at that moment, it was healed. She then would go from walking 15 steps to sitting down for 15 minutes. She walked everywhere in Rutherford, everywhere, because she was so happy that her back then walked, I mean worked, and she was like, glory to God, I'm walking. (laughs) She became the intercessor of our church for eight years. God gave me a dream that she was vital and important to our church. 
Another woman in our church had an intestinal issue that she was too embarrassed to tell someone about. And I think it was the same month. I don't know if God was just healing people that month. We should have another one of those months. Let's go, Jesus. And she is, she's getting prayer and all of a sudden she feels something just change. She's like, oh. She tells my wife two years later, she says, I was too embarrassed to tell you, but God healed me in a moment like this. See, God is a miracle working God. But let me tell you this. Do you know that Lazarus, who was risen from the dead, later dies? Do you know that Peter, who saw cripples healed, later is crucified upside down for Jesus? Do you know the Apostle Paul was preaching one time all night? The Bible says he went on and on. You know when the Bible says you go on and on? You really go on and on. Like I'm not talking seven more minutes more than you hope to because you get out and watch your game. No, there was a young guy who was sitting in the window and Paul goes on and on so long that he falls out the window and dies. Paul walks downstairs, raises the dead, comes on back and the Bible says, keeps preaching. When you raise the dead, you can preach as long as you want to. That's all I gotta say about that. You can just go on and on, baby. But then later, sometimes there was sickness. And he says, I couldn't come to you because I, I had this I had this health issue and I prayed to God, God, three times, would you release it from me? And the Holy Spirit speaks to his heart and says, my grace is sufficient for you. See, I wanna say to you today that I believe for the miracles of God and the grace of God and the purpose of God and the love of God in your life and in your family's life, I believe for it in this church. But I would say this to you, that your faith has to be bigger than disappointments. Your faith has to be bigger than disappointments. The last eight years of my father's life, he was an alcoholic. Actually, I would say the last 20 years of his life, he was an alcoholic. The last eight years of his life, he actually... He was married to my wife. Oh, sorry, my, uh, not my wife. You know, that's how we do it now, family. You know. Bring it back, people, bring it back. Someone's like, you bring it back. I'm trying. But he was married to my mother for 27 years. And when my wife and I got married, about three months later, they divorced. And then after that, and I had prayed for him for 20 years. And he spends the last eight years of his life as an alcoholic. And the last time I got to say goodbye, he was sitting on a, on a park bench in Sydney, said, love you. See ya. Next day, I'm in the airport. I'm in the duty-free section. It's beautiful, it's clean, it's expensive. But I got tears in my eyes because I'm just thinking about my dad. And the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart as he says, he said, redeem his story. And I was like, God, I don't like his story. 
I wish you would change. I prayed for a Nebuchadnezzar moment for him for years. And for some reason it didn't change. But God spoke to my heart. He said, don't waste his story. And just months later, God speaks to my heart that I was to really help men. And for the last three years, that's what we've been doing in our church. We've seen more men's lives change in those three years than we did previous. But it actually came out of some pain. It came out of some struggle. It came out of some disappointment. Because I believe that your faith must be bigger than your disappointments. Because even when you have disappointments, God has that ability, that resurrection power to turn that thing around. He can redeem it. He can give you a heart that says, yep, I'm going to be part of the answer. I'm going to be part of the solution. I can be a part of the change. Come on, take your seat. I'm not done yet. Marco, come up here one second, man. Come on. Come on. Come up here with your fly pink shirt. Jump up. Come on, quick. Is this quick? Or... You and I need to have a running race. I know who's going to win. You know, Marco leads one of our Transform groups. You've been part of Transform how long, man? Two years? Three years? Since the beginning? Yeah, three years. That's right. When we were doing it rough, we were sitting on like little seats. No no manuals. Yeah, yeah, no manuals. Kids seats we were sitting on. Anyway, he's doing an amazing job and and he's leading his family and his life. But here's the truth. I want to give you a dollar. This is just a dollar. (laughs) You know, God gives us things. Here's the funny thing about God, he actually thinks he owns the world. <laughs> How dare he? And he gives us stuff. And then sometimes what he gives us, he asks for it back. He's like, hey, can I have that? And you're like, but, but, but I like this dollar. He's like, yeah, but I got something else for you. But isn't it true that sometimes when God asks for something, even if it's something small in your hand, it's a relationship in your hand, It's a job in your hand. It's your lifestyle in your hand. It's, you know, I come to church occasionally. And God is asking for something. But here's every time I've found, when God asks for the dollar, He gives you something else. And let's just exchange. You got $100 or a dollar? Which one do you want? You want the 100? And He exchanges it. So many people are hanging on. See, the Pharisees were praying for Jesus, the Messiah to come. But they were so busy hanging on to their position and their power. And He was trying to give them something so much bigger than they had. He was trying to give them everlasting life. And they were trying to hang on to their silly positions that they were praying to a God. And the God's like, I sent Him to you. He's doing miracles. But they were so busy hanging on to their little things, they couldn't see the greater things that He had for them. And I just feel like some of us are are playing with marbles and and God's like, can I have the purple one? You're like, but I like the purple one. It's my favourite one. I won this one. And He's trying to give you diamonds, but you're hanging on to marbles. And He says, listen, would you surrender the lesser so I can give you something greater in your life? 
Come on, give Marco a hand. Give me back that hundred dollars. I don't need Easter Sunday to cost me that much. <laughs> the entire life of Jesus is a climactic moment when heaven's purpose and the enemy's purpose battle for supremacy. That's his life. But the truth is that the battle that now wages is not for good and evil over humanity because that has already been done. The battle is now over your heart and your mind. It is over control. And control actually becomes your kryptonite so that you become weaker and you cannot see. See, some of us, and this happens because we're all humans, so we all wrestle with very similar things. I, I know in this auditorium right now, there are so many similar struggles, and most of the time we think our struggle's unique. I just wanna tell you, no, now it's not. First Corinthians 10 says that what we struggle with is common. That's why I can preach and I can relate to you because I struggle with the same thing you do. And I've been through what you've been through. And I know so many different times when God has asked me to give something up and I'm like, oh, I feel like Gollum. And I'm like, oh. Depression. Isn't it amazing in, in the Lord of the Rings that their job was to take the ring and throw it in the fire of Mordor so that it would be consumed. But everyone who held it felt the pull and control of it. And God says, take your control and drop it there. And then my righteousness, my peace, my joy, my resurrection, my dreams will begin to sit in your heart. But when you hang on too long, haven't you found? It dies anyway. It dies anyway. I was talking to someone just this week and I was like, hey man, would you, would you meet with a counsellor? Because you, you need it. Your marriage is a mess and it's a disaster. Would you meet with one? And isn't it funny that sometimes in those moments, you're not sure whether you want help, but you gotta give up control. Control is the kryptonite. See, I could, I, could, I could say to you, listen, give up that sin and that sin and that sin and that sin. And Guess what sins are? Relationship sin and finance sin and trust in God's sin and all this kind of stuff. That's a fruit of not trusting Him. You're like, oh, my one sin is this. No, no, no. Your one sin's not that. The bigger problem is control becomes your kryptonite. I can't trust you with my relationships. I can't trust you with my money. I can't trust you with my stuff. I can't, I can't trust you. But when you trust the one who can be trusted, all of a sudden, He breathes on you a fresh breath of life. And I believe in this house that God wants to restore some dreams and God wants to breathe fresh faith in people. Listen, let me tell this last story as I close today. When our church was about 60 people, 
60 people and we'd been going about seven years and I felt like God had given me, shown me when I was 19 years old, I saw myself. I had visions of speaking in front of thousands of people and, and the church had been gone seven years with 60 people. And I listened to a podcast and it was from a mentor, a friend of mine. And as he was preaching, I realized all of a sudden the fresh oil from God literally began to flow in that room. It was, my, it was my daughter's room at the time. And I remember just listening to it and all of a sudden tears began to flow down my eyes because I realized that my disappointments had, had kind of shrunk my vision. They shrunk my heart and all of a sudden it was like this fresh oil began to flow again. And I was like, God, I can believe again. God, you can do it again. God, I believe you again. And even just recently, I've felt such a stretch from God to believe for more. I feel this ridiculous stretch. Like He's like, Anthony, believe me for more men's lives changed. Believe me for more people coming to Christ. Believe me for more. And sometimes, you know what I do? I tell God, I'm like, ah, but I don't want to be criticized. I don't want to be criticized. Because unfortunately, the more people you lead, the more people. The more people talk. But the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. He said, don't fear people. Love people. And that's easy said. It's not always easy done. Like when someone talks bad about you, you're like, ah, oh, greetings and salutations. <laughs> Blessings be on you, brother. <laughs> like I wanna chop you in the throat. <laughs> I got a dollar, I got a hundred dollars. Jesus says, give up this one so I can give you this one. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about what He has for you. Come on all across this place. Would you close your eyes? Father, I pray for every man here. God, I pray for every lady in here. Every young person in here, Father every teen. Jesus, take these moments and breathe on them. Help them last for eternity. God, I pray that where people have control, where they're not trusting You, where it's becoming a kryptonite in their life, in their faith, in their vision, in their family, it's addicting them, it's slowing them down. It stops them from seeing God's miracles and God's answers to prayer right in front of them. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that You would help them release it to trust You. While your eyes are closed, I wanna ask you a simple question to help you identify your kryptonite. I pray the Holy Spirit takes a moment and just speaks to some people in this place, gives them a picture or a word in their heart, in their mind, in their heart. It might be now, it might be later tonight, it might be this week. But if I ask you a question that went like this, I'd follow God more, but what's that but? What's that excuse? 
that may very well be your kryptonite. That relationship, that desire, that dream. A wrong picture of yourself, a wrong picture of what it means to actually follow God. I'd follow God more, but, and lay that down in a moment of surrender. Because on Resurrection Weekend, isn't it? So important that we don't just declare He's risen, but we live like He's risen. That we don't just say we believe, we follow. You never follow perfectly, but you can follow authentically. You can follow with all your heart and all your mind. And that's what it means to be a Christian. God, I pray you give the great exchange to some people who are surrendering those things right now. Give them the courage to do what they plan to do in their own mind, in their own heart exchange them with your purpose and your plan in each area. I thank you for it, Father. While eyes are closed, while Christians are praying right now, you may be watching online right now. You may be in this auditorium right now and you say, Anthony, I've, I've believed kind of in God as a concept, but I've never trusted in Him. I I've allowed kryptonite, I've allowed excuses, disappointments, failure of answered prayer, bad situations in my life, sin addictions, whatever it might be, to blind me from actually putting my authentic faith in the person of Christ, the one who loves you, who died for you, who lavishly loves you, who's been pursuing you all your life, who made you and is speaking to you, He'll put enough evidence around you so that you can see Him. You may be here today and you have never said yes to Christ. I'm gonna ask you in a moment to do something bold. I'm gonna ask you, He died on a cross publicly for you. I'm not gonna try and embarrass you, but there's something about responding to that invitation. There's something about not just in your heart, but in your mouth and with your body that we respond to that invitation to say yes to the one who already said yes to us. I'm gonna ask you in a moment, we're all gonna pray a prayer together. And that prayer will lead you to a person. And if you are in this place and you know you need Christ, if you are in this place and you know that the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart right now, if you're in this place and years ago you followed God, but you know you don't right now, I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna pray a prayer in a moment, but I'm gonna ask you on the count of three to stand at your feet. Eyes are closed, but I'm gonna ask you right now on the count of three to stand at your feet if you're receiving Him for the very first time. One, two, quickly all across this place, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. If you're saying yes to Jesus all across this place, thank you, sir. All across this place, stand to your feet. Thank you, man. 
all across your place. If you know the Holy Spirit is nudging your heart, if you're on the inside just going, I could never do that, I could never stand up in front of people, resist fear. How do you get out of fear? You do the opposite right here, right now. There's some people who are gonna stand at their feet. Thank you. Thank you, sir. That's awesome today. Others, stand to your feet right now. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. That's awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. That's awesome today. I'm proud of you. Thank you, ma'am. That's awesome today. That lady over there, that's awesome today. Come on, stand to your feet. Stay standing just for a moment. Stay standing for a moment. Last five seconds. If you want to stand to your feet, if you feel like this is really a moment for you, don't let it slip. Don't let it pass you away. Right here, right now. That's awesome today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Those of you standing, every single person, come on, let's pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross, for the sin of the world, but for my sin. And right now, I surrender to you. I ask you to cleanse my heart, come into my life. I believe in you. Help me follow you. From this day on, help me know you, help me discover you, help me walk with you, and walk in my purpose, I pray. In Jesus' name. Come on, everyone stand to your feet right now. Everyone stand to your feet. Can we give Jesus and in the house of God, can we celebrate those people who said yes to Christ? Come on, let's lift it up. Praise God.